It's Rico Daily. I'm Adam Clark Estes. When you picture the ocean, what do you see? For me, ironically, the first thing that comes to mind is the horizon. The very tippy top of the ocean. Not what's underneath it. So I'm... I'm floating in this underwater forest filled with dozens of these trees made of fiberglass and PVC pipe. And on all of these floating trees in the ocean are pieces of coral hanging off of the branches, almost like jewelry hanging off of a jewelry stand. And there's oranges and greens and pinks, and it's just... It's really beautiful, and it's also in the middle of this crystal blue ocean water, so it's it's pretty spectacular. Benji Jones, environmental reporter for Vox, where are you right now? So right now I am scuba diving near Key Largo, Florida, in the Florida Keys, and I am swimming in an underwater coral nursery, and it's actually the ocean's largest nursery of, of its kind. And I'm guessing this wasn't a typical field reporting assignment for you, right? What were you doing in an underwater fiberglass forest (laughs) on the ocean floor? Yeah, so I was down in Florida for a story about what scientists are working on to save coral reefs around the world. And Florida is kind of a hot spot for coral reef restoration. So first of all, like coral reefs are incredibly important. They cover less than 1% of the world's oceans, but are actually provide homes for more than a quarter of all marine life, like the charismatic clownfish or seahorses or sharks or whatever. And so they're just incredibly important ecosystems for wildlife and also do things like prevent storm surge from, from harming coastal communities during a hurricane. So they have all these kinds of benefits. Right now, things are pretty bleak. Climate change is taking a pretty big toll on reefs because it is warming the seas and also making them more acidic, which is bad for coral. There's also a lot of diseases out there right now that are that are a problem for coral as well. And so altogether, these threats have wiped out more than half of the world's corals. And in Florida, it's wiped out more than 90% of the corals. So this is wow. like, it is a very bleak picture for the world's coral reefs. Yikes. Well... I want to get back to this nursery because I don't totally understand how it works. How are scientists using projects like this to restore the coral population? This particular nursery is run by a nonprofit called the Coral Restoration Foundation. And they took me out one afternoon. We drove out on a boat and went down with our scuba tanks. And the organization's science program manager, Amelia Mora, was kind of scubaing me around to see this forest. And it was pretty cool. (laughs) You can kind of think of coral nurseries like a nursery that you might use to restore forests, so like a nursery of trees. It's basically a place where scientists can quickly grow lots of corals that they eventually plan to plant on a reef that's been degraded over time. On the surface, you can't really see much 
below, but then you just drop in and all of a sudden, as far as your eyes can see, you see these rows and rows of these trees with pieces of coral hanging on them, like staghorns and elk horns. And I watched Amelia Mora cut pieces of coral and they kind of float to the ocean's bottom. And then her colleague picked them up and put them in a bin. So we're collecting pieces of coral from the nursery and then we we drove about 15 or so minutes to a reef that's been degraded, went back down to the bottom and actually started planting those pieces of coral. Well, I didn't do the planting. I watched them do the planting. But literally, they're just using like the special kind of marine epoxy to glue these fragments of coral to the reef itself. And so it was just really cool to see like the actual planting process take place. Not that different than like planting a sapling in a degraded forest. Typically, corals grow really, really slowly, and that's why it's a problem that reefs are, are getting degraded. But scientists have figured out how to speed up growth, and a key part of that process is something called microfragmentation or fragging. That's like a really important part of reef restoration. Fragging. Okay, interesting name. What is that? Is that the process you're describing where they break pieces off and replant them elsewhere? That kind of sounds like grafting for trees, but maybe I'm not right about what fragging is. Essentially, yes. What we're talking about is cutting a piece of coral into tiny, tiny pieces, like dime-sized fragments. And when you do that, the coral seems to grow much, much faster than it would as an adult. Hmm. And you can think of it as similar to, like, if you scrape your knee, the skin tends to grow much faster than it would if you didn't have an injury. And so scientists think that that's a similar process to what's happening with corals. They're kind of repairing themselves. And and when they're in that repair process, they grow really quickly. Well, I wonder, how did scientists figure this out? This sounds like a, a pretty cool breakthrough that you can get a tiny piece of coral and that it will grow really quickly into a big piece of coral. Yeah, I love it because it like is a breakthrough, but it's also just like breaking coral. <laughs> but But yeah, so the marine like aquarium industry has probably been doing this for a very long time because People who work in the aquarium industry know that if you cut a coral up into tiny pieces, it will grow quickly and there's like money to be made because people buy corals for their aquariums and so forth. And you mean like aquariums that you would put in your home? Yeah, and have exactly. Like or tropical fish. Yes, aquariums you put in your home for aquariums that you would go to to visit in Chicago or D.C. or whatever. But this approach really made its way into the field of restoration thanks to this guy named David Vaughn who really pioneered fragging for restoration. And he actually stumbled upon it accidentally because he broke coral when he was working at the Moat Marine Lab and saw that it grew basically as much as it would in two weeks and two days. So he saw just like this tremendous growth and then wow. really built this approach out for the industry. So fragging is essential. Everyone uses it in restoration. There is a downside though, and that is that when you fragment a coral, each piece is genetically identical. So it's like genetically identical twins. And the problem with that is that because everything is the same, if one of them is susceptible to, say, disease, then all of them might be. And so it can become a problem just because of this uniformity. There's kind of like a general principle in ecology or conservation that genetic diversity tends to breed resilience um, because you have more variation that might be able to better respond to, to various threats like disease. So breeding, so actually creating new genetically distinct varieties of coral, allows scientists to introduce genetic diversity into a population of coral. And then also, 
you can use breeding of coral to speed up evolution because we know that certain traits such as tolerance to rising temperatures or disease are rooted in genetics. And so theoretically, you could breed individuals that possess those traits and their babies would be also like more tolerant to heat or to disease. So there's a, it gives you a lot of options as opposed to fragmentation, which is just that cloning process that I described. Tell me more. How exactly do coral breed? I'm not sure I've spent a ton of time thinking about it. Okay, so this is like the most interesting thing about coral, in my opinion. So corals spawn, which basically means they like eject lots of sperm and eggs into the water. And what's so spectacular about this is that these are organisms with no eyes or brains, yet across large swaths of the ocean, they're able to synchronize their spawning event. And so the same hmm. species will kind of erupt with their reproductive parts at the same time, almost like, like cyclical cicadas or something like that. They just know how to erupt in unison. And in an ideal world, the sperm and eggs will find each other from different individuals, like a big party or something like that. And the eggs will be fertilized, and then they'll settle on the ground, become larvae, and create new corals. The problem is that because we've lost so much coral, some of those individuals are just so far apart from each other. So even if they put their sperm and eggs into the water, they might not find each other. And, and that's a problem because we're seeing that coral can't breed on its own. So it sounds like corals just kind of hope for the best during this spotting process. Yeah, I mean, that, that's essentially right. They are relying on their eggs and sperm finding each other in the water. But there are ways that you can kind of interfere with this process and help them make it more likely that they're going to breed successfully. Okay, tell me more about that. How do scientists actually help this process? It doesn't sound super scientifically advanced. They essentially will boat out to sea. Usually this is in the middle of the night. Often it is following the cycle of the full moon. And they will go out and literally like drape what looks like a large mosquito net over a colony of corals. And there'll be like a little test tube at the top of the mesh net. And then when they spawn, the eggs and sperm are buoyant. And so they'll rise to the surface and they can use that mesh net to capture the eggs and sperm. And then they'll literally just do that with another colony. And then they can mix them together either in like these floating tanks at sea or they can bring it to a lab. Scientists have figured out how to get corals in a tank in an aquarium to spawn on their own. It's a controlled environment, so it's much easier, although it is pretty expensive. These tanks can run like $30,000 each. And it's literally just recreating exactly what you might see out at the ocean. What's especially cool about this is that you don't need to tell them to spawn at night. You can actually kind of override the system so that they spawn during work hours because you can just control all of that manually. And so it allows scientists to like work a nine to five job while also seeing them spawn and capturing all the eggs and sperm at the right time. Well, at the beginning of this conversation, you presented a really grim picture for coral. But after you've explained some of the science to me and, and what researchers are doing in Florida, it sounds kind of promising. Are the researchers you've been talking to hopeful about what they can do to save coral? I mean, ultimately, to save coral reefs, we just need to put a cap on carbon emissions because climate change is such a severe threat and it's getting worse. But that doesn't mean that there are not kind of solutions short of that that we can work on at the same time. And I will say, like, as someone who spends a lot of time reporting on conservation solutions and 
often find solutions that like don't actually seem to hold water and, and don't really work and can even kind of harm the environment. I feel pretty confident in saying that restoring coral reefs through these processes that I've laid out really does help. And we can actually see some of the, the progress already. I, I came across this incredible example of, of scientists from the Moat Marine Laboratory in the summer of 2020. They went scuba diving at night to see corals that they had restored five years earlier. And they had seen that the corals had grown to a size large enough to reproduce, and they actually got to watch these corals spawn. As any marine biologist might tell you, like getting to watch corals spawn is just such a cool experience because you see these, these like seemingly lifeless stone-like objects just erupt with eggs and sperm all at the same time. It looks super cool, but even cooler is getting to see corals that you planted or that your organization planted because it's literally just the, the sign of progress and that the sign of restoration is working. Benji, thank you. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Today's episode was produced and mixed by Sophie Lalonde. I'm Adam Clark Estes. Thanks for listening.